After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Please move it. Please move it. Please move it. I got to admit this. I made a mistake. I think I'm bang on this. I'm bang on. Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Watch it here. Good checking, guys. Good play. Everybody's arena's open. Everybody's had their home opener. Everybody's played a game. Well, not everybody's won a game, at least as of this recording, but the NHL season is just nicely underway now, Josh. Yes, it is. Nice to have everybody playing all, well, almost all the teams winning and almost all the officials working. A few still sidelined, but hey, it's the NHL season full steam ahead and it's been exciting and a little controversial at times. A little controversial, a number of incidents, as there always seems to be when we gather weekly for the Scouting the Refs podcast. It is brought to you by Manscaped. Special savings are available for you with our Manscaped partnership. Use the code REFS when you go to manscaped.com for your order. You will receive 20% off and free shipping. Use the code REFSREFS. We mentioned the season is just nicely underway. It's the the crisp fall days for many. Your neighborhood is likely looking a little spooky, a little scary with Halloween decorations. You know, some cool stuff as you wander around, maybe out walking the dog. There's Halloween parties that are going to start to take place if they haven't already. Everybody's dressing up in costumes. Now, you are bound to see some costumes, some outfits with wild, overgrown, and unruly hair and grooming. This is fine for costume parties. Do not let this become your normal routine. I mean, the thick, bushy, wild, unkempt appearance are effective if you want to startle and frighten people. But that is not the case with personal grooming. It's quite the opposite. You want a fresh, unsoiled, tidy, and immaculate area that is welcoming to all those that visit. And the full line of Manscaped products will help you quickly and easily whip things into shape. Super fast, super safe. The Crop Reviver, the Crop Revitalizer make you feel fresh all day. Josh, some things about Halloween should be scary. But grooming shouldn't be one of them. No. And at the end of the day, when you when you take off that wolfman mask and, and <laughs> step out of that wolfman suit, you, you don't want to be a wolfman underneath because it, <laughs> it can be frightening. <laughs> yes, in so many ways. Go to manscaped.com. Use the code REFS for your purchase. Get 20% off and get free delivery. Do it now. Please make sure you're following us on our social channels for Josh. It's at Scouting the Refs. On Twitter and on Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Insta as well. On this week's episode, hey, look out! Big fines for slashing and roughing. No, it wasn't a headbutt. And I can't believe I just saw what I saw. Okay, Josh, first up, we have long discussed and talked about wanting greater information and explanation from the National Hockey League on rules. Enforcement, suspensions, fines, and other forms of discipline. What the process is, how it all flows, how it all works, why rulings are made, or why suspensions or fines are not given. This past week, we got a step in the right direction. 
On the NHL Network program, NHL Now, Department of Player Safety head George Peros was a guest to discuss some of the early season incidents that saw players disciplined and others that did not have fines or discipline levied. Now, I will say this appeared to me to be a very tightly choreographed appearance. You can watch the video on NHL.com. NHL Network, of course, is going to be a pretty friendly outlet for Peros to appear. And it did appear as if there were some talking points that he was given prior to this guest spot. But let's focus on the positive. And I do believe that this was a big positive. Let's hope that this is the start of greater transparency and information flowing to help new fans and longtime fans better understand how this system operates. Absolutely. And I think player safety has tried and I know they get criticized often for the wheel of justice or the the lack of understanding on how they arrive at certain things. And they've tried to be transparent. The video is coming out and explaining things. I know it doesn't always satisfy what fans are looking for and they want more information. So to see them take this extra step to make Paris available, to have the discussion on the NHL network, I think was a great step. I'd love to see them continue to do this. I don't expect us to get to the level where penalty calls or non-calls are getting individual explanations. And and remember, that's outside Paros's scope. He's player safety. They're making decisions regardless of what penalties were or weren't called during the game. They're looking at these situations after the fact. But anything they can do to try to provide explanations. And I thought the ones for the non-suspensions were are just as interesting as for the players where disciplinary action was taken. I agree with you. And just because you don't agree with how uh, justice was levied or if there was no further punishment administered doesn't mean that they aren't trying to help people understand. It's just, here's the explanation. Here's the rules. Here's how they're interpreted. Here's how the system works. They are providing you the information. Now, certainly there's going to be people that agree and disagree with, with justice and, and how it's administered, but at least they're giving the information, they're giving the explanation. And I believe that helps with the understanding for everyone. Right. And that's really all you can ask for. You know, we we've explained plenty of times. This is the rule and this is what the officials are going by. And this is what player safety is going by. And there's plenty that is up to interpretation of the individual, whether it's the official, whether it's player safety. And and they're working by committee. So this isn't just George Paros making a decision. They're they're working as a group to arrive at what the outcome is here. And it's it's not always black and white and cut and dried. So to understand a little bit more and to really get a peek into that, I, I think it's really helpful. I, I agree. And, and George did go into some detail about that. They, they do have a lot of people provide input to the department. Ultimately, he's the one who levies the suspension or fine, but there is a lot of people that provide input. So it's it's worth noting there. <laughs> okay. So we, we also have talked a lot about offside, offside challenges and whether or not that should happen or shouldn't happen. But there was one situation this past week that struck me as kind of curious, kind of funny. We had a few goals that were called back for offside, but this one was a bit curious because it was an empty net goal. It was a three on one for the Winnipeg Jets versus Minnesota. And Mark Shifley put the puck into the net, except Kyle Connor was offside. The Wild challenged it and the empty netter got overturned. <laughs> Well, people always want to know if that offside really factored into the play. You know, we've we've seen plenty of situations where they said, oh, the guy was offside, but it didn't really matter. It absolutely didn't matter on this play. Nothing was going to be any different if he was a step or two behind. But rules are the rules. They get called by the book. And this was the right call to be made. So a really interesting situation. And I, I think also, you know, just because there's an empty net 
doesn't mean you should let your attention slip and skate in offside. So, uh, you know, Winnipeg needs to be a little bit more careful there as well. That was a, a not necessary offside situation, but a smart challenge to wipe that off the board. But uh, yes, Todd, one of the, the least impactful offsides I can recall. Keep your head in the game. We'll have another situation that a player definitely did have his head in the game coming up in just a little bit. I also want to talk about the Carolina Hurricanes and the Montreal Canadiens game. It was dramatic for many reasons. <coughs> yes, Barry Cockney, <laughs> But the early first period goal that the Montreal Canadiens scored, what they really needed from Brendan Gallagher to give them a one nothing lead, wound up being overturned because Gallagher was in the crease. I'm still not sure if they actually did have contact with Kane's goaltender, Frederick Anderson. But again, good on Coach Rod Brindamore, who looked at the play, understands what the rules are, and challenged for goaltender interference. And this goal was overturned. Again, it was dramatic. It was. It was one of those situations where... It wasn't obvious, you know, was there contact? And, uh, you know, we were checking it out from multiple angles and looking at each replay to see if Gallagher really made contact with Anderson, if he was merely in his space. And there there was some minimal contact, it looked like, with the glove hand. But I think what it came down to from the league's determination is that the goaltender was not able to play his position within the crease. He's entitled to that space within the blue paint. It was a good screen in front, but... Gallagher may have backed in too far and impacted Anderson. Now, whether whether there was physical contact there or whether his presence just made it impossible for Anderson to do what he wanted to or or to get to the puck properly, they felt it was enough to substantiate a goaltender interference call and, and wipe out the goal. This is the key point of goaltender interference. The rules are applied. Am I, tell me if I'm stating this right. The rules apply somewhat differently based on the attacking player being in the crease or being outside the crease. That's correct. Yeah, there's there's different rules when it comes to incidental contact inside outside the crease whether it means a penalty may be assessed or a goal will just be waved off. So in this situation the goaltender was in the crease and regardless of where Gallagher's skates were at the time if if part of his body was over the blue paint and preventing Anderson from being able to perform his job as a goalie within the crease then they have the right to wave that goal off and it, it looks to me like I said, with minimal contact here, maybe a slight bump, maybe not really hard to tell, but that there there was no question that Anderson was firmly and deeply in the blue paint and enough in this case for the league to erase a goal. This is the Scouting the Rest podcast. It's brought to you by Manscaped. Special savings are available for you at manscaped.com. Use the code REFS for your order. You get 20% off shipping and free delivery. Okay, a couple of headbutt situations to discuss. The first in the first battle of Alberta this year between the Calgary Flames and Edmonton Oilers. Connor McDavid had a great game, but everybody was talking about the first period incident with the Flames' Rasmus Anderson, who went after Oilers forward Kyler Yamamoto. As the two got tangled up against the boards, Anderson shoved Yamamoto. It first appeared that he may have headbutted him. Not true. He did throw two or three punches and got fined $5,000 for that. Interestingly enough, Tim Peel, former ref working as an analyst for DailyFaceOff.com, gave a nice shout out to scouting the refs, by the way, and the socials. He didn't necessarily agree with how this rule was implemented, but 
again, it's a, it was an explanation that George Peros gave in his video. This was not a headbutt. It appeared to be, but if you look at it from all of the angles, there was no headbutt in this case. Yeah, we saw Anderson's helmet definitely moving forward toward Yamamoto, but apparently there was a second angle versus the initial broadcast angle, which was the one that we based our opinion on, you know, first calling it out and posting on scouting the refs. Hey, this looks like a headbutt. Uh, we're expecting a, another review from player safety here. Looking at it from a, a different camera that caught it more from the side, it, it appeared that Anderson's glove and Yamamoto's glove were the primary drivers of the contact there. And that's what pushed the visor. And that's what pushed the visor up, not Anderson's helmet. So a great situation where the, camera angle and your perspective makes all the difference in how that's assessed. Uh, it still looked like Anderson was going for it, but in this case, not necessarily a headbutt after further review. No, there was the, uh, again, he got, he went, he was fined for roughing, which I think was well-deserved since he landed a few good shots on, on Kyler Yamamoto, but there was no headbutt. And that was, that's good to see because you do not want to, you do not want to see that from players, but we did see it in the St. Louis Blues game with Pavel Bushnevich, who got dinged for two games against the Arizona Coyotes forward Lawson Krause. The two were together at the end of a play and they're doing the stare down thing and there's a bit of shoving. And Bushnevich, I don't know if he brain cramped or what, but he gave Krause a good bonk with the head. I think it was the linesman that actually caught it right away. He was given a match penalty and gets a two-game sit-down. Easy, easy call here. Yeah, easy one on the ice, easy for player safety. Linesman Scott Cherry was right on top of it, and man, that was no question what was going on there. It, interesting to see, though, you get a guy like Bukjanevich, who I think has had a few flare-ups now and then when it comes to some physically intense plays that have all resulted in player safety taking action at one during the end of his tenure with the Rangers and now early in the season with the St. Louis Blues. So hopefully something he can get under control. You know, you're looking at a guy who's a strong player, uh, physical at times, but certainly developing a reputation for things like this is, is not necessarily how you want to get in the good graces of the league. No, that will get you attention for all the wrong reasons. Another game to focus on involved the Dallas Stars and the Ottawa Senators. Dallas forward Raddick Foxa uh, was... As I was watching it, he was appearing to untangle himself from Senators forward Tim Stutzla and came down hard with the two-hand chop on the right wrist of Stutzla, who left the game in, shall we say, some discomfort. He did return. He was okay, but Foxa will forfeit 5K. And again, this is... This is a player, I think, that became a bit frustrated, and I can understand that, but you simply can't swing your stick wildly and chop another player doing it. No, and it's one of those situations, Todd, where we're lucky that there wasn't an injury on the play, and and to me, that 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 le makes me lean a little bit more towards, well, is this a suspendable offense? And, and maybe not quite there in this case, but these are the types of things that can result in significant injury and, and the types of plays when you know, you're know you fortunate that it doesn't, but maybe I could see a game for that just because of the potential for injury on a player here. And regardless of how frustrated you are, you're, you are always responsible for your stick. And and something like this, this, this kind of stick work can be far more serious than I think a $5,000 fine addresses. This is a tough one in that it was two players that were sort of involved. And as I said, one, one may be trying to untangle himself. It's one where you almost have to judge intent. Was this an intentional chop or was this just part of the, I'm really stuck here and I'm trying to get away from this other guy? 
Right. And that's a hard thing. It's it's hard for the officials on the ice to judge intent. And it's hard for player safety when they're making their decisions to say, what was the player's intent here? Is this something where we're looking at away from the puck, no hockey value, or this this was a situation where there was active play on the puck. The puck was in the area. They were making a play for it. So I can see where this stick work may have been the result of aggressive play, getting free, like you said, getting frustrated, trying to stick check someone, and you give more leniency there. If this had happened during an altercation between the two, totally behind the play and separate from everything else, I think hands down you're looking at a one-game suspension because then it's it's not a hockey play. There's no hockey value to it. There's nothing to do with the actual game taking place on the ice. So I think in that respect, it, it makes sense that... Y- you're looking at intent, but you can't necessarily say that this was an intent to injure. Whereas some situations we've seen in the past that happen far away from the puck, you know that the player's not doing anything other than trying to take a shot at an opponent. Well, this next game situation may fall into that category. The offending player was fined. There was no suspension. It was Joe Thornton of the Florida Panthers. Still seems weird to say that. I, I know. But yeah, Joe Thornton of the Florida Panthers uh, against the Tampa Bay Lightning earlier this week. And I, I'm, I'm loving these games. I think that it's going to be a super intense regular season. And I'm kind of hoping that they meet again in the playoffs. But Joe Thornton was fined just a little over $1,800 for, as John Buchigross of ESPN said in a tweet, for giving the undercarriage a bit of a how's your father <laughs> to lightning forward Boris Kachuk, Joe got two minutes for slashing on the play. Oh, it's a fine line sometimes between slashing and spearing. And this was this was a jab. This was the blade of the stick with a jab in an upward motion where oh, it's uh, it, it's not unlike some of the, the situations we've seen where guys have picked up a penalty for spearing. The spearing's typically... You're looking at the motion of the stick going parallel to the shaft of the stick with a spear, but using the toe of the blade. And in this case, he was lifting up or down, which is what we usually see for a slash. I don't know, Todd, that the the toe of the blade was the implement. It was going directly into the player. I don't think the outcome would have been any different if they find him for spearing versus slashing. It's a it's a fine line there. But holy cow an uncomfortable spot and and an uncomfortable move by Thornton and and this one I'm I'm not against uh undercarriage type shots getting a minimum one game suspension I'm going to go back to my previous comments on the earlier play there's nothing of hockey value happening here I'm pretty sure that the uh Tampa Bay Lightning forward Boris Kachuk would agree with that assessment that there is nothing (laughs) resembling a hockey play here (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're, you, you, Thornton was getting some stick work in, but uh, what he was playing had nothing to do with the puck. Uh, yes. So I, and if, if this becomes a, an automatic one game, I w- I'm OK with that as well. But I just it, it doesn't seem as though there's the, the appetite to move to that. But maybe there will be in at some point in the future. Another situation I want to mention also involved a, a, a Senators game, but it was linesman Shandor Alfonso who had hopped up onto the boards at the Sens bench. This was late in the third period, and Ottawa player Justin Kelly happens to be leaping over the boards at that same moment on a line change, and Alfonso was cut by the skate for four stitches. He missed the final few minutes of that game, but fortunately it was not a serious injury. It could have been much more serious. No ill effects. He worked the Leafs and Rangers game the next night. But it got me thinking about 
skate cuts, once again, there's been so much focus on players and how to avoid that and how to prevent that and preventative safety equipment that they can be wearing. There are sleeves that some players wear to help prevent cuts around the the forearm and the wrist, cut-proof socks on their on their skates. And if officials could and should be wearing some of this, it might be a safety thing that we should look at as well. I, I think there's a pretty strong argument to encourage officials to wear that type of protective gear. You know, you, you see guys, and I, I know it's a toughness thing out here. I know there was... It took time for players and officials to adopt wearing visors, and and now we see them league-wide. And I, I think there's a thing, especially we see it at, at amateur levels where, you know, your, your hands are cold. What's the matter? Just skate a couple more laps, warm up, and, and you know, you, you need to look like a tough guy or you need to be able to handle yourself without gloves. But certainly, you've got guys whose careers could potentially be at risk from a skate cut like this. And, and fortunate, as you mentioned, that, that Alfonso wasn't seriously injured on the play, but... I don't see any harm wearing a, a light glove, a Kevlar glove, something cut proof, maybe even some light padding on the back. I'd be happy to have a, a, a hand protected when I'm dropping the puck or in cases like this, when you're hopping up on the boards and, and putting yourself right in the line of fire when it comes to skates jumping over there. So a, a scary situation that perhaps the league may want to consider. I know a few seasons back, gloves were tested. Uh, Stephen Walcom had the officials testing some gloves just to see what the performance was like, what it was like for the officials when they were dropping pucks in training camp, and something the league hasn't looked to adopt yet, but something that is certainly on their radar. I, I think it's a great idea. I seem to recall a few years ago, I don't know if it was maybe this testing program or if it was just because of an injury, but there there have been incidents once or twice where I've seen linesmen wearing gloves. In fact, I think Jay Sharers was one of them that were, was wearing a glove for a while. And again, I just, if, if it's a safety thing, if you're, you know, you're trying to break up a couple of players who are involved in an altercation, but we talk about it so often in terms of, of players and skate cuts and how dangerous they are. Well, the, the officials are right in the middle of that as well. Yeah, and their protective equipment in general is a lot lighter than what you're seeing on players. So just keep that in mind. Anytime you've got guys with with skates flying or, or officials getting crunched along the boards or hit by pucks, they're not wearing the type of protective gear that players are. And in most cases, it's it's adequate. Uh, they can get out of the way. They can move. The, you know, their positioning and mobility is key to preventing that. But there's always going to be those situations like this where your your hand is in the wrong spot at the wrong time. You're you're breaking up players like you mentioned, or you even have a couple guys piling up on a face off and the sticks come up. You've got a visor to help protect your eyes, but uh, you don't have that much gear elsewhere, especially on the hands. One quick note before we wrap up this edition of the Scouting the Refs podcast. This has to do with the Massachusetts Hockey Association saying that they are down 50 percent in referees and they have been forced to cancel games and those that remain are really suffering from burnout as they do participate. The The association does a couple of thousand games per weekend. The problem is with a very small segment of parents that are abusive to officials. There have been some mild instances, jeering, yelling, berating, but others have had actual physical confrontations and to me, that's kind of appalling. These are sometimes not so young, or a lot of them are young people that work as officials. They're trying to make a few bucks, but they do it also because they love the game. Look, there are a lot of other ways that they could be spending their time 
earning a little bit of the extra income, but they choose to do this because they want to give back to the game. They want to be involved in hockey because it's given them something special in their lives. So let's just say as a just nice, subtle reminder, let's not run them off with this kind of abuse. How about we thank them for what they do and and appreciate their services that they're providing? Absolutely, Todd. It's it's often a thankless job, but even more so now as as parents seem to be stepping up how they're reacting to the officials and what they're doing. And then you're adding to it because the few officials that are sticking with it are, are subject to more and more abuse. And it's something that Massachusetts is struggling with. We're seeing it with other hockey associations uh, across the U.S. and Canada. I, I know New Hampshire's seen it. Uh, Quebec is has had to cancel some games uh, this past weekend just because of a lack of officials. And it's hard. It's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's a huge commitment to even prepare yourself to become an official. And then when you're subject to that abuse night in and night out at all levels from parents and some going so far as to follow officials to their car or or to follow them into the officials room for an altercation after the game. It's, it's really disheartening. You lose that flow. You lose the love of the game when you're one of these officials. And it's, it's really hard to want to show up and work another game when, when this is what you're subject to. So the organizations are doing as much as they can. And I know they're actively trying to recruit. A lot of it does fall back on the players, the parents, the families of, of making it a, a welcoming environment, understanding that these are our kids trying to do a job or amateur officials or people, like you said, who love the game as much as the players that are just trying to help out because without officials, we don't have games. And unfortunately, that's where we're at right now. No, well, that's right. So if 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 referees and and linesmen, if you have to go ahead and run them out of the building, keep your keep this, keep the environment safe for you and the rest of the players out on the ice. The Scouting the Rest podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code REFS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS. That's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.